Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Our will is strong, and it's better and stronger than any army and any weapon. But we definitely need to close our sky. And you guys just need to stop any economical relationship with Russia. Oil. Obviously, the world needs oil and gas. But it's better to pay higher price than to pay with lives. So, uh, just touching, that's, I'm sorry, that's uh, Vladimir Klitschko, the mayor of Kiev, uh, former heavyweight boxing champ. I think you know him by now. Uh, just touching on the Ukraine story, we will be returning to that before long, bring you some updates, describe what happened at the big NATO meeting yesterday. Uh, Joe Biden, who is both the hope, perhaps, of the free world, together with the other leadership of NATO, and a senile old man who doesn't I mean, even know it's, uh, I mean, right? I, 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 anyway who doesn't even know his own White House's messaging. It was a little disturbing. So all of that to come. Uh, Michael, you know what? Just on a whim, let's touch on the Miami spring break situation uh, because I want to talk about a couple of related things, including crime statistics, uh, bums and junkies, and that sort of thing. Give us a, uh, just give us 17, 18 back-to-back. The curfew is the only thing we really have left to do. Uh, maybe an earlier curfew. Uh, which I'd hate to have to do, but if we have to, we will. We can't allow streets to be unsafe. To be honest, I probably will try to stay out a little bit because I'm not from here. So it's like, you know, I want to enjoy myself. But if it is what it is, you know, like, the curfew. So it's uh, the Miami situation has become more controversial. Uh, the mayor and police are trying to impose curfews and stuff. There's been so much lawlessness and violence and shootings and stuff late at night. Uh, spring breakers. And it's become somewhat controversial because most of them are black. It's uh, huge crowds of young black adults or, or teenagers um, uh, carrying on. And, and, and so now it's uh, they're only cracking down because those kids are black, according to some activists. Okay, fine. Miami's trying to make it clear that we don't want spring break here. Don't come here. We don't want you, um, no matter what you look like. So that's something else. Uh, then you have this story. LAPD says robberies with a gun are up 44% this year. Gun-in-your-face robberies up 44% so far this year. Uh, robberies in general up 18% from 2021. Uh, with a firearm up 44%, 57% from 2020, and 60% from 2019. That's getting close to doubling. Robberies with a firearm account for more than a third of all robberies. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, so you got that. And people are trying to explain it and figure out why the jump in crime, why there's all the smash and grabs, why all the lawlessness. Uh, got a great note from uh, Mike here who says, uh, Joe, here's another word for you to know. I, uh, know. I know you like words, and the rest of us should know it, too. Anomy. Anomy. A-N-O-M-I-E. It means the lack of the usual social or ethical standards in an individual or group. And uh, this article from the New York Times, David Leonhardt, who uh, writes their morning update thing, he's a reasonable guy. He's a liberal, uh, but he's reasonable. 
Uh, quotes the mayor of Miami Beach, and then he asks, what explains the crime wave? There's no fully satisfying answer, but experts point to several plausible partial explanations, and then they go into the social isolation and frustration from the pandemic, the George Floyd thing, a sense of lawlessness, police officers' timidity in response to recent criticism of them, a rise in gun sales, etc., etc. Um But he said, the closest thing I've heard to a persuasive answer comes from history. Criminologists and historians who've studied past crime waves point out that they often occur when people are feeling frustrated with society, government, and their fellow citizens. This frustration can feed a breakdown in societal norms and arise in what the sociologist, um, some French gal I've never heard of, called anomie. Uh, We can't endure this anymore. We simply can't, said the mayor. Um, Interesting. We're clearly seeing that. I would argue that one of the main factors in the rise in anomie is the uh, the uh, dialing back, the the practically vanishing of uh, repercussions for making decisions that go against societal norms. We were talking about it earlier, and and we would love to hear from teachers in particular. Maybe we'll do a whole hour on this some some morning next week, maybe. How have things changed in your school, teachers, in the last five years, say? How's behavior? How's, uh, you know, dignity, decorum in the classroom? Are you able to teach? What are the kids acting like? What are the repercussions for the kids? Antisocial behavior, like uh, open disruption or uh, disrespect to the teachers, walking in and out of the classroom, showing up late all the time, that's one of your signs of adherence to social norms, Right. Um, and, and if there are no repercussions for making bad choices, and I think we'd all agree those are bad choices, um, how do you expect anything but enemy to result? Especially when you're dealing with A, kids, or B, people whose inclination is for whatever reason to break the law. Removing negative repercussions for bad behavior gets you more bad behavior. And I apologize for insulting the intelligence of most of the people listening. Duh! You know that already. But policymakers don't. How crazy is that? Oh, man, I feel for teachers. I really do. I feel for the kids in the public schools who are putting up with craziness. Uh, you know, as Jack's mentioned several times, there was a walkout in Oakland schools by the kids. A walkout because there's too little discipline in the schools. The enlightened progressives who run Oakland schools in the city of Oakland, they're down with the restorative justice nonsense and never suspending anybody no matter what they do. Uh, And the kids themselves rose up and said, no, this is crazy. So, yeah, why the lawlessness? Because we've removed the repercussions for it. Uh, Moving along, I found this interesting. A couple of twin stories also from California cities, one of the great laboratories of democracy. In this case, a uh, a laboratory, California, where they are storing the dangerous pathogens on the counters and letting the angry apes out of their cages. And it's one of the worst run laboratories of democracy ever seen on uh, the planet Earth. But a couple of stories from L.A. and San Francisco. Uh, they are trying yet again to solve the bums and junkies problem in San Francisco by pouring enormous amounts of money into it. Uh, this article in the San Francisco Chironicle, the liberal daily newspaper of the Bay Area, points out that on any given night, thousands of people sleep on San Francisco's streets, and it's thousands more 
than it was not long ago when the city pumped a billion dollars into addressing homelessness over a couple of years. They buying hotels to turn into subsidized housing. Despite the investments, the city city still falls short of meeting the needs of five thousand people sleeping outside at the last count. It's growing, and officials are also struggling to improve street conditions, pressured by housed residents and struggling businesses that want to lure back shoppers and tourists. Yeah, don't just that they don't want a crappy life. They don't want junkies robbing them. They don't want to step in poo. They don't want their kids assaulted. They don't want their women beaten down. By bums and junkies. Yeah. Yeah. There's pressure by housed residents. Can you believe that term, housed residents? Oh, and before we get to the L.A. story, which is almost as pathetic and hilarious, I got an email the other day from a gal who said, hey, you guys are always talking about how it's all bums and junkies. Um, I'm homeless. I'm not on drugs. I have quite a few friends on the street who are not on drugs. And uh, number one, thanks for the email. Uh, Secondly, uh, no, we never said it's all drug addicts, all junkies. Our point is, and I'm, I'm looking at some of these, uh, some of these numbers uh, in San Francisco: uh, twenty million dollars a year to run five hundred shelter placements. Twenty million a year to run five hundred placements. So we're pouring mind-boggling amounts of money, taxpayer money, into this thing. And our point is, if you do not recognize that the bulk of the dangerous, ugly people on the streets are meth addicts and fentanyl addicts and opioid addicts and the rest of it, if you don't deal first with the fact that we have a gigantic drug problem, then people like you, ma'am, and I apologize, I don't remember her name, people like you are not going to get the help that you need. And the well-meaning people, maybe their policies are good, maybe they're not. I have a lot of disagreements with them, but they're never going to get you that help. It's going to be too difficult and expensive. The public's going to grow exhausted. You're going to be fighting junkies for space. People are going to look at you and assume that you're a, a lawless, depraved junkie. We need to admit freely that we have a gigantic meth problem in this country uh, more than anything. And I'm looking at this entire article in the Chronicle, which goes into all sorts of details of all sorts of programs. Again, mind-boggling amounts of money and a complete lack of success, by the way. And, and uh, you know, you have to get to, like, paragraph 20 uh, to get to one guy who was uh, trying to get into treatment for drug and alcohol addiction. That's the first time they mention it. All right, uh, down south uh, of uh, San Francisco, you have the uh, beautiful city of Los Angeles, which has dedicated $1.2 billion to a new program fighting homelessness. But instead of maximizing the budget's impact, the city is spending up to $837,000 per unit to house homeless people. $837,000 per unit. An audit released by the L.A. City Controller shows that uh, Proposition Triple H, named after the famous pro wrestler, probably wasn't, uh, the ballot measure that issued that $1.2 billion bond to fight homelessness has been an abject failure. Again, that's the L.A. City Controller, abject failure. 
The audit states that, quote, more people are unhoused today than when Prop Triple H passed in 2016. Plagued by high costs and major delays, Prop Triple H has left taxpayers with a $1.2 billion bill and even more homelessness. One of the most egregious parts of the report shows the cost of new units being built to house homeless residents. Most units being built are meant to accommodate one person, and there is at least one building in the pre-development phase that's ex- a phase that's expected to cost eight hundred and thirty-seven grand per unit. Another twelve projects being planned or built are expected to cost more than seven hundred thousand dollars per unit, and another forty-one would cost more than six hundred thousand dollars per unit. So you have, you know, going on sixty different programs, not 60 units, 60 different projects that are going to be at least $600,000 per unit to make it as easy and comfortable and effortless for people to stay drug addicts as long as they possibly stay alive. It is so incredibly misguided. It is so wasteful and it is so cruel because it's going to lead to more death and and despair. Well, we've said it's a good point, heavy metal guy. Uh, we've said what we can say, you know, vote accordingly or, or just keep following the unicorn riders down the street, promising you some sort of utopia. If we just give enough taxpayer money away and make it as easy as possible, it'd be junkies. All right. Update on Ukraine, uh, NATO, Joe Biden and more coming up. Two officers of the division of the FSB, the old KGB, charged with getting people on Russia's side, recruiting and paying networks in former Soviet republics, are reportedly under house arrest now. It looks like Vladimir Putin finally understood that the intelligence he was given before the invasion was not extremely accurate. And he is starting looking around, trying to find uh, someone to blame. Well, not extremely accurate, kind of under-represents uh, it. How about extremely not accurate? That's Amy Kellogg on Fox News, special report with Brett Baer, who goes on about the uh, state of things behind closed doors in the Kremlin. Putin does not like being told what he doesn't want to hear, and fear reigns in the ranks of the Russian intelligence community. The bloody war, no doubt, making reaction to the recent buzz that a $700 million mystery yacht belongs to Putin, all the more bitter. Features include gold-plated toilet paper holders and an indoor pool that converts into a dance floor. It is currently moored in Italy. So the president, our president, and uh, the leaders of NATO and the EU and the G7 in a series of meetings yesterday were contemplating what to do about the Russian invasion and the slaughter of the Ukrainian people. How far do we go under what circumstances? And we'll we'll cover that story uh, in a more complete way in the next segment. Also bring you the uh, Joe Biden's astounding Lack of remembering their talking points or confusion or something kind of troubling, if you haven't heard that yet. But uh, one major development from the meetings was that Europe has declared, all right, we're off the Russian oil teat. Uh, We can't depend on Russia for our oil. That's insane. It's suicidal. Why did we ever do it? Yeah, some of us have been telling you that for a long time, and I'm looking at you, Angela Merkel. Anyway, William Lajeunesse was reporting on the likelihood of getting American natural gas to our friends in Europe. 
Europe needs to replace Russian natural gas. Question is, will President Biden allow U.S. producers to step in? We need more export capacity and we need more pipeline infrastructure. But many projects remain stalled in Washington red tape. The latest, a rule imposed by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission to require not just an environmental impact statement for any new pipeline or terminal, but a detailed breakdown of its effect on climate change, public health and race justice. These policies are going to make it next to impossible to build any new natural gas infrastructure. Climate change and racial justice. See, the holdup is we have the natural gas. We need to produce a bunch more, and it's been held up for the reasons he mentioned, but um, we need terminals in the U.S. where we can load liquefied natural, natural gas onto ships and then we need terminals to receive them in europe and that's a two-year project three-year project without having to do a thousands of pages long report on environmental change and and racial justice for the love of heaven uh michael have a clip 45 please and the u.s currently has seven lng export terminals six proposals have waited more than a year for approval the other major battle, pipelines. Five totaling nearly a thousand miles scrapped after environmental litigation. Fifteen more projects in 11 states are stuck in review. People in the oil and gas industry are scared to death to invest money in this field because the White House has declared war on the oil and gas industry. That goes back to that whole canard about the thousands of unused uh, oil leases. In the oil business, you don't dare stick your neck out to develop a a new uh, drilling ground or whatever, because the chances are pretty good it's never going to happen at all, and you will have wasted all of your time and money. Uh, The next most likely possibility is that you will uh, it will take years and years and years and become prohibitively expensive. It's really a tiny chance that it'll be successful with this current regulatory climate. Uh, Big update from Ukraine next segment. If you can't stay with us, grab the podcast later. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Sir, deterrence didn't work. What makes you think Vladimir Putin will alter course based on the action you've taken today? Let's get something straight. You remember, if you covered me from the very beginning, I did not say that, in fact, the sanctions would deter him. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. The mainness of sanctions... The maintenance of sanctions, the increasing the pain, and the demonstration why I asked for this NATO meeting today is to be sure that after a month we will sustain what we're doing, not just next month, the following month, but for the remainder of this entire year. That's what will stop him. I'm sorry, did you say sanctions never deter? That's going to come as news to your entire foreign policy team. I did not say that, in fact, the sanctions would deter him. Sanctions never deter. The president believes that sanctions are intended to deter. The purpose of the sanctions in the first instance is to try to deter Russia from going to war. We want them to have a deterrent effect, clearly, and he hasn't invaded yet. The allied relationship is such that we have agreed that the deterrence effect of these sanctions is still a meaningful one. Sanctions are not an end to themselves. They serve a higher purpose, and that purpose is to deter and prevent. 
Uh, just to clarify, those were not cable news commentators. That was Joe Biden's foreign policy team. What the hell is going on? Well, and countries have been using sanctions as a deterrent forever. North Korea fires off a missile, you sanction them to deter them from doing it again. Right, right. And it was like, uh, it was five times I heard that clip before I realized he was saying maintenance. Yeah. Maintenance. Yeah. This is a maintenance. <laughs> and this is when the world is depending, perhaps humanity is depending on wise leadership so from the United t- States and NATO, and there's a senile guy. That's That's scary. Your take on this is not that, uh, you know, he flip-flopped or anything like that. It's that he's so old, he wasn't able to manage that question in a way that didn't, you know, completely contradict what his entire foreign policy team had said just a couple of weeks ago. Right. Right. I mean, for him not to be able to say no deterrent is 100 percent certain. We had hoped Vladimir Putin would do the right thing for the world and for the Russian people. The fact that he didn't is on him. And now it's time for different actions and the maintenance of those sanctions. No, he just contradicts his entire foreign policy term and yells at a poor reporter. Yeah, his uh, his willingness to get in the face of anybody who challenges him is interesting. That's an old man thing, though, right? That a lot of a lot of people uh, who have. Elderly parents or uh, elderly spouses have said that uh, yeah, that's something that happens as you get older. Um, I mean, the fact that all his foreign policy team used that phrase the way they did means it was like a talking point that they handed out to them at a meeting when they right. went on all the talk shows to say the point is deterrence to deter. So the actual agreed upon talking point. He was 180 degrees from a couple of yeah. weeks later. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's again, that's troubling. It, it, this is this is a moment where we desperately need Joseph R. Biden, Democrat Delaware, to lead wisely and effectively. Humanity might hang in the balance, and I'm rooting for him to get the big shot in the ass or whatever he gets, uh, or to have a better day and to rally. And I hope he does well. Uh, I would, I hope Joe Biden is seen by history. As preventing World War III, I hope he emerges from this a hero. That is my sincere hope, because it could be humanity, and certainly Europe hangs in the balance. Uh, I'm afraid about his capabilities. So speaking of presidents, President Zelensky, who is practically half of Biden's age, um, I listened to an interesting podcast with a group of smart people yesterday discussing, is Zelensky at this point harming his cause? by talking up the effectiveness of his military. How, in terms of playing the world for help, what is the psychology right now, the best psychology for Zelensky? I realize his goal every single day is to stay alive, and that's a uh, like an immediate and real threat for him and everybody around him. Um, but he is also trying to manage world opinion and get more people to help him, and Originally, there was a bit of, well, there's no point in us sticking our necks out and risking nuclear war when Ukraine's going to get rolled in like 24 hours. Right. So let's not get into a war with Russia over something, you know, like that. Um, And 
you know, when they when they they showed themselves, one, the Russian military sucked, and two, the resistance was better than anybody thought. Um, you know, that helped people want to come to their aid. But then at some point, do you end up being so effective that people look? They're doing pretty good on their own. Let's not risk World War World War Three when I think we can get them a little more stuff, and I think they're going to win this. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting question. Um, and from Zelensky's point of view, probably overthinking it. Um, but I don't, I'm not sure he's thought about it at all. Like I said, he might just be, you know, every day. Let's just try to get through today. Let's see if I'm alive at the end of today. He might actually just be thinking about that every day. Well, and remember, he's trying desperately to rally the Ukrainian military against amazing odds and the Ukrainian people. So, yeah, underselling success is probably too dangerous a strategy. Yeah. But I could see how psychologically it might actually work against them at some point, that they're doing well enough that uh, NATO doesn't want to stick its neck out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Oh, but the, key, the, the biggest takeaway from yesterday is, and not a surprise, no red lines, right? Or what is the term you want to use since you don't like red lines? Nah, it's fine. Whatever. Um, red lines is the term of art these days. I was going to say I like tripwires more, but okay. um, uh, well, there are red lines, just a bunch of different ones, and no specifics on what will happen if you cross them. Yeah, well, that, that's not a bunch of a red line to me. If the right. if the reaction to chemical weapons is going to be some more sanctions, am I Putin? which means I'm evil. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Hell, that's not even a double yellow line. I can see plenty far. I'm going to go ahead and pass. Um. So, oh, yes. So, uh, speaking of our president, Joseph R. Biden, he will meet with... Oh, for with... driving. Okay, I got gotcha. you. The double yellow line when you're driving out on a, on a county road. Right. I think sure. I can see far enough. They, 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 they. But you can be fooled out on a county road with the double yellow line because you think you can see, and there's a dip. That's why they got the yellow oh, line. Oh, the dip. I didn't see the dip. Yeah, all of a sudden a car comes out of nowhere. Yeah, you're right. I'll drive carefully from here on out. Uh, so our president, Joseph Biden, is meeting with the Polish president uh, 60 miles or so from the Ukrainian border. Going to, uh, I don't know, sing the national anthem to refugees or something like that. Vow solidarity with the Polish people. Uh, we also have some a significant number of troops in Poland, too. I, I hope he'll tip his cap to them. Well, it's also news we announced we're taking in 100,000 Ukrainian refugees yesterday. Um, Some people want that number to be much bigger, but uh, it's a start. Um, Is there, I I suppose there's a chance he goes into Ukraine? No, you don't think so? Mm, Um, I I don't think so, no. And he did have a, one of his old man moments yesterday where he said, we're going uh, going to go meet her, and then and then we're going to go over to Poland. I, I guess I'm not supposed to talk about that. I'm not supposed to say exactly where I'm going. So he had one of those Joe Biden moments. Yeah, you're, you're not supposed to announce in a war zone exactly where you're going as the president of the United States. You know, I hadn't heard this, but Russia and Ukraine agreed that two humanitarian corridors will operate today, including one directly from Mariupol. Um, according to Ukraine's deputy prime minister, do we have any word whether that's actually happening? Well, that I, I understand. Why, well, first of all, they've announced that many, many times, and then they shell the people who are trying to get out through the corridor. Exactly. Um, that's what I'm saying. But the Russia, I don't think Russia has any problem with people leaving. Yeah, leave. We, we want to take over the city. Go ahead. Get everybody get out of there. That's fine with us. The whole point for us doing this is we want to take over this port. Well, then why have they shelled all the previous evacuation routes? Well, who knows? I have no idea evil demoralize the population right right 
Uh, let's see. Russia signals it may be narrowing its military objectives. Uh, they indicated it might be reducing its war aims, shifting its focus to defeating Ukrainian forces in the Donbass region. Wow. So, so we brought this up yesterday. What if Ukraine gets such the upper hand that they have the chance to take back Crimea? Or, or Donbass. The, or the Donbass region, which I think most people, their most optimistic projection was... Russia's going to keep those eastern Russian-speaking areas and Crimea. I mean, that, that belongs to Russia now. It's just, what are you going to do? I think most people have kind of accepted that as the something to do with the eventual end of this. But who knows? The Ukrainians might think, no, we're taking back our whole damn country. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, I wonder. They've been fighting in Donbass for a long time, though. Um, so that's less likely. But, but, boy, Crimea, that's an intriguing question. You got them on the run? The Russian military's demoralized? They're out of gas? None of their troops want to fight at all. Chase them the hell out of everywhere. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Where this ends, nobody knows. Like I said yesterday, I could give you five completely different scenarios, um, and, and each one is equally likely. Well, and since the, geez, I don't know, you'd have to go back to the mid-80s, I suppose. Since the mid-80s, there's, there, there haven't been that many days where, you know, nuclear war breaking out this afternoon. Could easily, I mean, if it happened, I wouldn't be, oh, my God. If, uh, you know, five years ago, I'd have been, oh, my God, what? How Wait, the hell did what, that happen? How? Why? Right, exactly. You get an alert on your phone today, though. You think, well, geez, yeah, I was afraid that might happen. Wow. Well, that's sobering. And on a Friday, please, mind your own business. I was watching some, um, do I have time for this? Because I thought it was interesting. Yeah. I was watching some old folks in uh, some Ukrainian city yesterday. An old old guy was sitting on a park bench and his wife was like sweeping up and just wondering what that whole mindset must be when, when you've lost everything, you could die at any moment. That's gotta be, I don't wish for it. I'm not trying to present this as a positive, but it's gotta be liberating on some weird level that everything is gone. And I could be obliterated at any second. There's nothing I can do about it. So you know what? I'm just going to sit here on this park bench, and my wife's going to sweep up the glass, and then I'm going to find something to eat. Then I'm going to do the next thing I need to do, Mm -hmm. because there's just no point in spending any time thinking about anything else, really. Well, there are many accounts from the, the German Blitz of London where Londoners who were under constant threat of being bombed to death uh, were happier than they'd ever been in their lives. The whole city pulled together. Everybody was kind and generous, and... um, and everybody felt like, okay, you know what? I'm not stressed out by the stupid stuff. I'm helping out my neighbor. I'm going about my life. Oh, yeah. All extraneous worries would be completely gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting phenomenon like. of the human spirit. Yeah, I'd say so. Anybody ever been in that situation? You could text us at 415-295-KFTC, 415-295-KFTC. You think we got a lot of 95-year-old Brits listening? You don't have to be a 95-year-old. Hello? Hello? Speak up! You're um, on the air. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hello? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I'd end up in that situation. Pro- pro- probably however you ended up in that situation would be horrifyingly tragic, and we uh, don't want to dwell on it. So maybe that was a right. bad, bad question to throw out. Uh, we got more on the way. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. 
mentioned earlier, I was uh, happy to see a picture of Kim Jong-un. It looks like he's gained most of his weight back because uh, I got on the scale today and had a shocking number in front of me. So uh, somehow I feel better that another guy battling his weight, like Kim Jong-un, he'd lost all that weight looking so sharp. Now it looks like he's back to, geez, at least two-thirds of where he was before. You know, it'd be really nice. You ought to send him a supportive note. Say, I can see you're struggling with your weight. I've struggled, too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then he'd have eaten by dogs. Anyway, uh, so speaking of uh, tales of personal woe, you remember yesterday I reported that my wife had texted that there's a weird smell, like a dead animal smell in the upstairs uh, bathroom, and I should uh, check the attic, and, and, and I did. Uh, I can report on that, but uh, David writes, uh, Joe, I hope the junkie living in your attic didn't OD. Well, David, thank you for the note, first of all, uh, but you're, you're, you're incorrect on a rather fundamental part of your theory. I don't have a junkie living in my attic, but thank you again for the note. Anymore. You know what? <laughs> right, exactly. I could explain what I did, but uh, it would take too long. It was, a, you know, what? It was a, a bathtub that not had, had not been used in maybe ever months and months and months, certainly. Um, just because it's it's way over there and nobody takes a bath in it. Um, and so I thought, well, what the heck? It can't hurt. So I ran a bunch of water down the drain, and I wonder if like the water in the trap or something had evaporated, yeah. and I was getting sore gases. Oh, okay. So anyway, my bathroom smells nice again. Or the or your uh, the junkie that lives in your attic is pooping in your bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> again, I have no junkies in my attic. Ah, hmm. uh, <laughs> anymore. Um, uh, the tiger team that we brought up. Uh, we have tiger teams at work, and we're like, where'd that term come from? Why is it so hot? Got this note from uh, R, first initial R. It's a military origin, a group of cross-functional experts convened to sharply focus on and resolve specific problems with a weapon system. NASA's use of a Tiger team on Apollo 13 made the term widely known. Okay. There you go. Okay, thank you for that uh, bit of information. As long as we're doing bonus email, this from uh, Charles. Guys, here's a suggestion for new swag at the A&G store at armstrongandgetty.com, where we have T-shirts and hoodies and sports bras, which my daughter, who has a lovely bosom, Bosoms? Oh, jeez. What? I don't want you to say that. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Did I tell you what happened on the golf course when she was last uh, in town visiting? Um, I would mentioned to her that uh, a, a good buddy of mine who's a very well-respected golf teacher, uh, we were talking about, I can't remember what we were talking about, so I said, how do you teach women, I mean, who have larger busts? I mean, what he said, it's easy, because you need to know this. You put your arms on top of your boobs. I'm like, oh, okay. And so we're playing golf with Delaney, and she's struggling a little bit. And I say, sweetheart, I have this from one of the top teachers in the area. You've got to put your arm on top of your, your, your boobs. And, uh, and she said, oh, okay. And she tries it. And then she started to swing poorly again, and I noticed her arms had uh, crept into a different position. I said, honey, your arms need to be on top of your boobs. And she said, dad, I'm trying, but they're perky. <laughs> wow, I'm uncomfortable with that, too. <laughs> Oh, my daughter is my buddy. Oh, such a great relationship. Anyway, uh, where was I? Oh, I'm going to so rewind this bras. real quick, the last minute or so. Yeah, yeah exactly. Let's, let's rewind There? It never happened. So uh, so anyway, back to the swag store at armstrongandgetty.com. Uh, Charles writes, 
Uh, here's a suggestion for some new swag. A plastic clove of garlic on a twine string with a paper label that says, better than a mask. We're talking about how people wearing useless cloth and surgical masks at this late date against the Omicron variants, it's, it's no better than garlic around your neck to ward off vampires. I swear, I'm, I, 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 I'm so fascinated by the psychology of all this. I want smart people to write papers and books and do studies. Like the experience I had the other day that I talked about where they, they, they weren't going to let me order my food because I didn't have a mask on, even though, like all restaurants, as soon as you sit down and I pointed to her, I said, I'm going to sit right over there and take my mask off. So are they, I don't think they're concerned about the COVID. It's just a, but that's the rule. It's a weird, it's like, it's like why the Nazis did what they did. It's like you're following rules. There's some weird thing. Maybe it's what keeps us alive as a species. We're built to follow the rules or something like that. It's, it just like, it, it, it seems to hurt their brain. No, no. The rule is you have to have a mask on if you're standing here in the restaurant. You don't have to over there and you're not following the rule. I think it's both because there are areas of the country that have high levels of COVID paranoia. And it's become so much a part of people's identities. Yeah, but you I'm can't. super careful about COVID. That's who I am. Okay, well, masks in general or whatever, but you can't think it makes any difference whether the guy's got a mask on there or there in the restaurant. That doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I think one is born of the other, though. They're convinced that uh, everybody is dying. You remember the poll. People on the left were convinced COVID was 80 times more dangerous for children than it is. Okay, 80 e- times. E- even if you believe that, though, it's as dangerous than here is right over there. It still doesn't make any sense. I, I, I don't know. I don't get it. Do you know anybody who does that? Or do you do that? Is it because of the COVID or because it's the rules? Most people are sheep. I sound like a mean guy when I say that. It's true. People don't think. They don't want to think independently. The idea of being asked to think independently is terrifying. So uh, Hour 4 has clips of the week. If you haven't heard it, if you miss an hour, you can grab the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.